The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. Volatility reigns as the Dow drops nearly 400 points to close below 26,000, while global bond yields resume their decline amid growth concerns. Investors stand on recession watches. The bond market sends a warning signal with the spread between the two and 10-year yield at its flattest level since 2007. The Hang Seng leads losses in Asia as Hong Kong protests add to the turmoil. Chief Executive Carrie Lam warns the city is on a path of no return as airport demonstrations extend into a fifth day. The Italian Senate is called back from summer break to slate a no-confidence voting government as five-star leader Luigi Di Maio accuses Lega's Matteo Salvini of, quote, stabbing Italy in the back. Plus, Argentine assets crater after investment-friendly President Maurizio Macri faces a re-election setback. Well, a very warm welcome to Squawk Box on this Tuesday morning. Yesterday, another very challenging day on Wall Street. We saw U.S. equities sell off very sharply with the the sell-off accelerating late in the trading session. And this was driven in large part by a plunge in the yield curve. We saw the yield curve flatten to levels not seen since before the financial crisis. So together, really driving those concerns around a potential recession and global growth more broadly. So looking at the three major indices, The Dow closed nearly 400 points lower, down 1.5%. The S&P 500 saw all sectors trade in negative territory yesterday, with the overall index down 1.2%. And then the tech-heavy Nasdaq index closed 1.2% lower as well. Now, markets were really rattled by a combination of macro factors, those ongoing trade concerns around U.S. and China and what that means for global growth. We also had the protests in Hong Kong continuing, and investors questioning whether this is moving from being a regional local crisis to one with broader global implications. And then we've got a political uncertainty coming to the fore in Argentina, where assets sold off very heavily. So investors questioning uh, the spillover potential from Argentina to other emerging markets assets. So all of this together created a very, very fragile day for investor sentiment. Let's take a look at Asian markets, uh, where the sell-off has continued. The Shanghai Composite is trading down about 0.7%, as you would expect, given the pro Protests and the added concern from those, the Hang Sen over in Hong Kong trading down a nearly 1.9%. And in Japan, the Nikkei 225, which was closed yesterday for public holiday, has opened 1.2% lower. Let's take a look at dollar crosses. The dollar index was broadly flat yesterday. The yen continues to be the safe haven of choice. It is retreating slightly in the latest trade uh, with the dollar up about 0.1%. But still, the yen really emerging as the safe haven currency of choice right alongside gold as uh, where investors want to put their money in these bouts of uh, risk off sentiment. And in terms of the euro and sterling, we are seeing both of those trades slightly weaker versus the dollar in the latest session. 
Let's take a look at the yield curve, though. As I mentioned, this really was the key driver of concern yesterday for markets. The 10-year closing below that 1.7% mark at 1.6488%. So we're really seeing yields plunge back to levels not seen since before the financial crisis. This flattening and this flattening of the yield curve weighed heavily on financial stocks yesterday. I want to take you to two uh, two notes in particular in the spread between the 10-year and the 2-year. This uh, spread narrowed to the flattest level since June 2007. And here you can see on the board here the progression of these uh, these two levels. So really all together we're seeing treasuries move to levels not seen since before the financial crisis. Uh, and as you would expect, this is driving major concern for investors whether this is signaling an impending recession. Karen? Juliana, thank you. Fed expectations have shifted markedly in the last week amid market volatility. Analysts currently forecast a 100% chance of a 25 basis point cut in September versus only a 74% chance a week ago, according to data from Thomson Reuters. The probability of action in both October and December has also risen. Morgan Stanley forecasts the Fed could even cut rates back to crisis level lows. In a note, the investment bank predicted cuts in September and October, plus four more moves lower next year, which would take the funds rate close to zero. Andre Ianelli joins us, Investment Director at Fidelity International. Andre, nice to see you. I want to get into the rates moves because we have shifted uh, fairly enormously from where we were on the back of the Fed commentary. We, we didn't get much from Powell other than a description that this was a mid-cycle adjustment or an insurance cut. The market now seems to be pricing in a series of rate cuts, the very opposite of what Powell was uh, fleshing up for markets. Quite a few things have happened since uh, Powell's remarks. He obviously had the difficult... Uh, task of having to balance an economy, the fact that the economy is not really falling off a cliff. You know, you're, you're slowing, but you're still one and a half percent growth, more or less, with uh, uh, the need and want to, to, to cut rates, mainly because of trade. The day after the press conference, we've had the announcement of the trade tariffs. You've seen then uh, manufacturing numbers continue to, to be soft. And the latest earnings season has been uh, mixed at best. And more recently, yesterday, you've had uh, the spillover from emerging markets with the Argentina uh, uh, situation, the Argentina story, the result of the elections. So We can throw Hong Kong into the mix too, a, ma- a major financial centre. So climbing a wall of worries seems to be where investors have found themselves. But I wonder whether they've gone too far. We just had a chart showing us the spread between the two and 10-year and investors have been watching for yield curve inversion over several months, the three-month and the 10 year in particular mm. now the two-year and the 10-year how significant is that and what's the risk that markets have gone too far to price and easing certainly markets have gone uh, far um, reasons mainly the fed but also just generally global central banks cutting rates you know you've seen everybody most central banks under in, in the planet cutting rates in, in asia you've seen the ecb guiding towards uh, uh, more for uh, more uh, easing to come in in September. Uh, add to that the fact that uh, you are seeing more um, uncertainty on the trade front. Have the markets gone too far? To some extent, perhaps, given that we we don't think there's going to be a recession in the immediate uh, in the immediate future. It will certainly be difficult for Powell to um, outdove. The, uh, the the market given how much is priced in, but it does look that, that markets are trying to really push them to to go ahead with uh, with uh, with rate cuts, and we do think that there's they're likely going to do at least one rate cut by the end of the year. 
Now, we saw yesterday the equity market sell-off really kick into high gear late in the session when the U.S. Treasury 10-year yield dropped below the 1.7% mark. Do you think that that 10-year yield is what's ultimately driving markets at this point? Uh, the direction of causality is uh, it changes every day. Um, yesterday was probably uh, as you as you mentioned. So yesterday you had the emerging market volatility spiking that uh, gave another kick to uh, uh, to treasuries, and that in turn got uh, the equity equity investors uh, uh, scared. Uh, we're also again clearly looking at the earnings season quite closely. Uh, if you look at U.S. companies, particularly in the investment grade space, uh, it's interesting to note that earning growth has been actually flat over the last couple of quarters. That kind of says a lot about the state, of the underlying state of the corporate environment in, uh, in, uh, in, in the U.S. I think that's an important point, especially when we look back at the recent sell-offs that we've seen in the first part and last part of 2018 and then back in May. And one of the key differences on the negative side is that earnings growth is looking more uh, more pessimistic, more negative than it was then. So how do you sort of balance that more negative earnings view with the central banks having become more supportive than they were during those periods? Well, the, the manufacturing sector is not improving, and that's, uh, that's, you can see that in the data. There are concerns around the fact that uh, higher, increasing tariffs will eat into co- corporate margins. And I think that's, uh, that's an ang- one of the angles that falls under the trade worries and the trade concerns uh, and implications that the central bank has mentioned several times in the latest, uh, in the latest press, uh, uh, press conference. Again, it's another sign that the U.S. economy is slowing down. Again, we don't think it's going to be a recession, but uh, at, at the very least, the Fed is one of the very few central banks that has got ample room to still cut rates. So tactically, what should investors do at this point? Because as we saw recovery trade come back into the markets, mm. a lot of fund managers were around the set saying you've still got to pick up risk assets. Be cautious and be careful what you're picking up because there's a lot of excess uh, placed in some areas of the market, mm. particularly around defences, but you're still going to be picking up that risk area of the market. What do you think? Because it seems as though the bears were then back out in force yesterday. Well, we're long, uh, we are been long U.S. Treasuries and uh, happy, happy with that, playing tactically, of course, given the volatility. Uh, we do think, however, that uh, investors should continue looking at credit. Ultimately, you, investors out there, are they need income. You know, they, uh, they, they start for income and uh, you have about $13 trillion of negative yielding assets in the world. So you're going to have to go somewhere else. Uh, but we do, given the volatility and uncertainty, we prefer uh, investment grade, credit, given that it gets a, bit, a little bit safer in, in this environment. So your long treasuries, how low do you think yields can go in the treasury market? And there's a lot of talk about whether we actually see them follow suit and go into negative territory as well. Is there anything to stop that from happening? <laughs> um, a negative territory in treasuries, it, it would be a little bit of a stretch, to be, uh, to be honest, given that our, our base case is not that we're going to see, a, is that we're not going to see a US, uh, a US recession. So, um, you know, we are not far away from, from the lows, but a lot will depend on the, uh, given where Fed funds are at the moment and where Fed funds are priced in to be in the next few months, but a lot will be, uh, will be in the hands of the Fed. Andrea, thank you very much. Uh, Andrea Ianelli with us, Investment Director, Fidelity International. We'll pick up on more commentary in just a moment. And for more on Wall Street's rate expectations, head online to cnbc.com.
And in other news, Hong Kong Airport has said it is working to resume normal operations as soon as possible, despite a further protest planned this afternoon. That says Cathay Pacific encourages passengers to delay all non-essential travel out of the city, both today and tomorrow. Now, Sherry joins us live from Hong Kong. Uh, Sherry, this has been incredible to watch the protests continue for as long as they have, and now really feeding through to global markets and hitting market sentiment yesterday. To what extent has this become uh, a global crisis versus something that's more local, more regional? So when we're talking about Hong Kong International, eighth busiest airport in the world, Juliana, uh, canceling all incoming and outgoing flights for many hours. Uh, perhaps uh, we're looking at more than 12 hours or so from yesterday afternoon through this morning. Yes, it's going to send a lot of jitters to the global markets and uh, really making this uh, you know, impact of this protest more real for a lot of people watching this development as well as the markets only. And uh, yes, it certainly made it feel really uh, real for uh, a lot of international travelers as well. And uh, we did see substantial level of uh, disruptions where, uh, you know, we saw some of the local reports saying that uh, more than 180 flights had were canceled yesterday. Now, today we are seeing the airport trying to bring things back to normalcy. But of course, because of the cancellations for many hours from yesterday, there's a certain Certainly a lot of backlog that we're seeing. So Cathay Pacific reportedly uh, canceling more than 200 flights uh, today as well. So certainly seeing that impact even today. Now, yesterday was a, you know, a big follow up of, uh, you know, follow up after the weekend protest of the three day uh, sit in uh, because of this uh, anti-government protest. Uh, this is really, um, you know, protesters continuing with their cause. And I think the, the huge turnout that we saw yesterday was actually a result of the protesters' condemnation against the Hong Kong police's excessive use of force and the alleged brutality on protesters. And that's exactly one of the points that Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam tried to touch on. But she basically stood very firm with her support for Hong Kong police. In fact, take a listen to what she had to say this morning. Police operations could not be determined by someone like myself who is outside the police, especially when policemen have to make on-the-spot judgment of what will be in the best interest and the safety of people around during that particular situation. The police have their code of practice to follow. The police have very rigid and stringent guidelines in the use of appropriate force and that requires the lowest level of force in dealing with those situations. So there we go. Hong Kong's leader basically um, not showing any signs of providing, offering concessions to the Hong Kong protesters and standing very much firm with her support for the Hong Kong police. And I think that's really the point that's going to be very much con contentious moving forward. In the meantime, really uh, circling back to the business impact angle there and what kind of repercussions we're talking about. Uh, you know, just the last hour, Bank of Communications downgrading Hong Kong's flag carrier Cathay Pacific. And uh, one of the reasons that they were talking about is a protesters' a protest effect 
on passenger demand uh, having uh, a magnified impact with time. Guys? Sherry, I just want to pick up on a couple of points in the news flow because there are elements of concern that could suggest a further escalation. And this was in the language coming from Beijing, suggesting that the protests have begun to show spouts of terrorism. Some critics believe that may be just a precursor to the use of anti-terror laws. What is the potential for that and what would the reaction be from some of the protesters? So when we're watching this development and when we're asking, you know, the potential intervention on the part of the Beijing authorities, we're looking at uh, the Chinese military that's already, of course, present here in Hong Kong, the People's Liberation Army. And when what is the red line here? for China to step in. Uh, Remember, Hong Kong's constitution does stipulate that the Hong Kong government can ask Chinese military to step in for natural disaster relief and uh, public order restoration. So I think one of that, you know, goals could be triggered. And I think Beijing officials are trying to really not so subtly, perhaps, but indirectly a message that and give that warning that there is a possibility of Beijing intervention and perhaps militarily. And I think that's the reason why we saw uh, Beijing officials at the uh, Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office yesterday using the word terrorism, really, um, you know, basically the strongest word ever to describe what's been happening here in Hong Kong. And also that's the reason why we see a lot of mainland Chinese state-run media getting busy on social media, Global Times, People's Daily, really getting out a lot of op-ed pieces these days, um, ratcheting up uh, the pressure uh, and uh, describing uh, what, you know, the Chinese military is doing in the close city of uh, Shenzhen in terms of, you know, military training there and uh, floating this idea that Beijing's intervention is getting, uh, you know, the possibility of Beijing's intervention in Hong Kong is rising. Guys? Sherry, thank you very much for that today and uh, for the for the rundown. Very unique perspective, having been covering the, the protesters on the ground the whole way along. Coming up, as Italy's coalition government hits the rocks, the Senate has its summer break cut short to discuss a no-confidence motion. More details next. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. And let's just take a look at opening calls for Europe. It looks like a fairly muted start to trade today following a modestly down day yesterday. The stock 600 fell 0.3% with losses spread fairly evenly across regions. Uh, We'll have all the details in the run up to that open over the next couple of hours. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to Squawk Box. 
Italy's Senate will convene later this evening to decide on a timetable for holding a vote of no confidence in the coalition government. Parliamentary party leaders yesterday failed to reach consensus on when to debate the motion, prompting a Senate recall from the summer break. Lega leader Matteo Salvini called for the vote last week after declaring the partnership with the Five Star Party over. The party's leader, Luigi Di Maio, said Italians will, quote, make Lega pay for the stab in the back it has dealt Italy. He added he will not seek a deal with former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi's PD party. Nobody wants to sit at the table with Renzi. I'm hearing from a lot of people online who write to me and say, please don't sit at the table with Renzi. It would be a huge mistake now. Nobody here wants to sit at the table with Renzi. Openings, closures, half openings and half closures. The Five Star Movement wants just one thing, an opening to the cut of 345 members of parliament. We are ready. Well, Willem now joins us around the desk. Willem, you've been following uh, Italian politics uh, very closely. I imagine there's a lot of really frustrated politicians in Italy at the moment getting called back. What's, uh, what's the timing like? How would the timing for all of this work? So Salvini and Lega and their potential allies would like to see this vote of no confidence in Giuseppe Conte's government take place as soon as tomorrow. Some of their opponents would like to see it happen next week. And then in terms of what that means for a potential electoral timetable, we're talking as early as late October. Now, that matters because, of course, we have this thing called the European semester. And so every year, the EU expects its members to submit budget proposals at around that time. And every year, Italy comes up with some ideas that the Europeans aren't so thrilled by. So if you have an election around that time, which doesn't happen very often at all in modern Italian history, you could have some real difficulties trying to get that budget through. If you don't get a budget through, then you end up basically locked to what you had the year before. One of the big controversies is around the idea of a sales tax being, being automatically um, built into the equation. There's something they need to find, I think, around 23 billion euros to fund. That's not back of the sofa money for the Italian government at the moment. On that point, there's commonality between Renzi, who was mentioned, a former star in politics in Italy, the former prime minister, and the Five Star Movement. And what we've seen in dramatic events, a breakdown in the coalition, comments there suggesting that De Maio does not want to team up with Renzi, but could he around constitutional change and also around the sales tax? If you remember last year after the election, again and again and again, the Five Star Movement and De Maio said they would not work with Renzi. And in fact, the bitter feelings between those parties seem to be quite mutual because Renzi said that he was not prepared to work with Five Star. For that to happen, it would really see a huge sea change in Italian politics. But of course, if you look back to last... Which we've already had. Which we've already had. And of course, that's the thing. You know, it was very surprising in some ways that Five Star and Lega were willing to work together. They were not natural bedfellows in, in government. The real difficulty is going to be going into this period whether Sergio Mattarella, the president, is prepared to dissolve parliament or whether he tries to find a way for Conte to form a new majority, which again would potentially rely on the Partito Democratico. If you look at the numbers, and this is the polls, you look at how far ahead Lega is currently in the latest poll of polls, they're around 37%. 
You've got um, PD down there in the, the low 20s, still slightly better than we saw last year in the national elections. But Five Star have essentially seen their support half. And that is potentially what Salvini's betting on. And Conte himself has dared him to acknowledge that to Parliament. Give us credible reasons why you think this government should come to an end. Andre, what Willem has just laid out a very complex set of events in Italy. What do you make of the situation for investors that have had elevated fear, which they've demonstrated in the bond yield in Italy in recent days? So much for a quiet Italian summer. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Italian yields, Italian spread, the spread between BTP and Boons has had a pretty good run this year, uh, mainly courtesy of uh, um, the ECB. You know, we've seen the search for yield, everyone, everybody piling into BTPs after EC, the ECB's commentary. But then the sense of déjà vu uh, of last year's uh, events has uh, has got uh, uh, investors spooked again. Uh, spreads have widened. We think that they, can, they could continue uh, widening further, uh, given the uncertainty, uh, given the, uh, the issues around the VAT hike that needs to be uh, fixed no mm, recent part recent governments no recent government has actually willingly increased VAT because politically it's a bit of a difficult one to difficult decision to make so they're gonna have to find 23 billion euros it's unclear where they're gonna find them and um, we it, a lot today depends on uh, the president Mattarella and how he decides to play it he could even uh, he could even choose a technocrat technocratic government uh, or, or not. So it's uh, very much in flux and the spread will reflect that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.